Amen. Amen. Let the church say amen. 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 I'm glad that you're here today. And I want each one of you to know how much I love you. I love you. I'll say it again. I love you. I love you. I love you. (laughs) I'm thankful for those who are leading in our worship. I'm thankful for them uh, singing and leading us in that and what a blessing it is. And I know that, um, you know, this morning as we worship, um, the Holy Spirit is in this place. And, you know, there's a lot that happens. You know, Jesus calls his disciples. He calls us to engage in his mission and he provides instruction for us to do that. He doesn't leave us without instruction in doing his mission. And as a Christian, I'm committed to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm committed to him. And I want you to understand something. That is my vocation. That is my calling in life, is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I've lived out that role. Uh, I've lived that that calling out in several roles, one of them being as a pastor. But you see, I have other roles, too, as a father. Previously, I was uh, an executive chef, and so I lived out that vocation in that job that I had in that role. And that's my point is our vocation is what we are called to do. Our vocation is that we are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. He expects us to do His mission and His ministry according to His instructions and according to our gifts and according to the opportunities and needs that we see. See, there's tremendous purpose in all of the things that we as a church do. The things that we are involved with. Every month, every month we go downtown and we feed, we, we are part of Feed My Sheep, which is a way of helping uh, feed homeless and those who are less fortunate in Temple, Texas. Our church is involved in that. It's a tremendous blessing. We do, we do our service on the fourth Saturday of the month. And so I hope that you will come and be a part of that. Um, We're also involved in sharing the gospel right here locally in Ray Allen's school through our Good News Club. What a tremendous opportunity for us as a church to, to show up and to be there to share the gospel with children. They give us that opportunity. They afford that to us and we take advantage of that. But we're involved in that. You are involved in that as part of Memorial we just recently held our, hosted our, our Harvest Fest. You know, I, I love that because it's an opportunity that we as a church have to interact with our neighborhood, with those who live around the church. We invite them to come and we, we feed them. Yes, if you have food, they will come. But we feed them and we provide opportunities for our membership, for our people, our body to interact with the neighborhood around us. To have meaningful conversations with them. 
To be able to say, hey, my name's Ridge and I live in Echo Village and I'm here at the church, but I want to get to know you better. To have those kind of conversations with our neighbors. See, we even carry the gospel internationally to other countries through praying, through giving, through going. I mean, we heard last week from Craig and Susan from Southeast Asia and how they are sharing the gospel there. What a wonderful opportunity it is for us to be partners with them in that ministry. It's great. We're building relationships with our neighbors locally and internationally. We just had a team come back from Tanzania sharing the gospel. Somebody say hallelujah. <laughs> you know, we pray and we give and we go. And it's, it's what we're supposed to do, but it's what we do. We pray and we give and we go. Um, let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And Father, as we look into your word, I, I ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just um, cover this place. And Father, that your Holy Spirit would just speak to our hearts. And Father, um, I pray that your, your Holy Spirit would drag to light those, those things in our lives that should not be there. Father, when there's indifference or apathy or, or things that we may not understand. Father, as, as today and, and next week is the, the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Father, we lift up our brothers and sisters around the world. Father, who um, are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And Father, we recognize that um, as we sit in uh, air conditioning, as we sit in comfort, we recognize that other believers around the world are not afforded uh, that opportunity. And so, Father, we lift them before you. We ask, God, that you would help us uh, to be faithful to you in all things, that we would not shrink back. But, Father, that we would do exactly what you call each of us to do as a disciple of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for all that you are. Guide us as we study your word, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, the end of chapter 9. We've been in on a journey here about, um, you know, if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, if we're going to, we need to know what Jesus taught and what he says. And so we've been in this discipleship mode of what did Jesus teach. And so I want to share with you another truth here about what Jesus' disciples do. And and we read in um, Matthew chapter 9 and following, we're just going to camp out there for a little bit, so if you have your Bible and want to open there and and just uh, put it, uh, mark it there. But in, in Matthew 9, beginning in verse 35, it says this, it says, Jesus was going through all of the cities and villages, teaching their synagogues, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest and send out workers into his harvest. 
verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 1 says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the 12 apostles were these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Now, notice that Jesus wasn't sitting under a shade tree and he wasn't sitting in a magnificent sanctuary waiting for the world to come to him. This is a big point. Because it says there in verse 35, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages. See, Jesus was out there traveling. He was going. And Matthew wrote earlier about Jesus' ministry, and he said it was a teaching ministry, it was a preaching ministry, and it was a healing ministry. And that's exactly what we see right here. Going through the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. The threefold ministry, you know, expounding the old, proclaiming the new, healing the diseased. As Charles Spurgeon put it, he was a, a traveling medical mission as well as an evangelistic tour. See, notice that Jesus had tremendous compassion. Verse 36 that says that he felt, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. He felt compassion for those in need, for those, he had a broken heart for those who were in need and for what he saw, because the people were harassed. They were dispirited, it says. They were helpless. They were confused. They were, it seemed like they were aimless and they needed someone to care and to guide for them, to help them. Now, in this passage, there's, there's a Greek word, and I, I want to share it with you. It's called splenoxomai. Excuse me. Splenoxomai. And, and it comes from the Greek word splachna. And really, this word has to do with um, guts, like um, feeling it in your guts. And, and, and the Bible uses this word in, a, in kind of an important metaphorical sense. And it, it considers that the seat of our emotions... The seat of our feelings is our tummy. Now all you guys out there, and you know that I'm right when I'm talking about this, because you remember the first time that you called that special girl and you asked her out for a date. You didn't feel it in your heart. You felt it in your, the pit of your stomach. Will she go out with me? Will she say yes? You felt it in your splachna. And you see, that's what moves us to compassion for others. Is when we feel it internally. Because we can see stuff on the news, we can read about it, we can, but, but we don't feel it internally. We don't move on it until we feel it internally. And I think that's very important because we see that Jesus, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. See, that splachnizomai, it refers to a strong emotion that someone feels deep in their insides. And the Bible usually translates that word as compassion. See, Jesus saw great potential in the people, but they needed someone 
They needed someone to extend the love and grace of God. See, I understand people don't need more rules. People don't need excessive burdens. And people don't need an accusing finger shaken in their face. Jesus knew that the twelve disciples could be like Him. (laughs) They could be the kind of shepherds and co-workers that the crowds needed. So why did Jesus tell His disciples to pray for the workers of the harvest? He encouraged them to pray for workers. And His call to prayer had nothing to do with God's willingness to send workers, but everything to do with workers being called and submitting themselves to follow that call into the harvest. To accept the call. To accept our vocation that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. We can't say it's for somebody else to do. No, it's your job and it's my job to go into the harvest fields. Unfortunately, that's not what we see. See, we must pray, but we must do more than pray. I love this because Jesus used two metaphors here in these verses. Shepherds and workers in the fields. The shepherd cares for and meets the needs of the people. And when we begin to pray, we become a worker in the harvest on behalf of the good shepherd who cares for his people. See, Jesus anticipated that many in the crowd would become his followers. But the disciples needed to be intentional about going to work in the field. Pray that God would send workers to the harvest. (laughs) Pray that God would send you to the harvest. That's really what he's saying. It's not on God's end. God is more than willing to, to, to equip those who are called. But those that accept the call, that receive it, that say, yes, that is me that he's talking about. I can be a worker in the field. You see, brothers and sisters, we need to be intentional about going to work in the field. And you need to understand something this morning. This, what we're doing right here, is not working in the field. Some of us may have the wrong idea that, man, God sure is lucky to have me on his team because I go to church. The only way you could view church as being working in the field is if you have a role of service that you do on Sunday morning to help the saints and to equip them. But if we are coming to soak and to sit, we are not working in the field here today. The field is out there. See, Jesus commanded them to pray for workers. And then he provided the answer to that prayer. Then he provides the answer to it. Jesus called the 12 disciples together and he gave them unusual spiritual power. The 12 were first chosen to be with Jesus so that they would be with him. But their bigger purpose was unfolding because they had responded to the follow me of discipleship. They said, yes, Lord, we will follow you. So what is discipleship? Well, it it starts small, 
but then goes deep. It eventually goes wide, but don't think of it in terms as big, of being big. But listen, we, as the workers in the harvest, are to go deep in the lives of a few. You have an area of influence around you with people that you can influence and go deep with. People that I may never meet, but people that you know personally and intimately, and and you multiply in their lives the character, the heart, the gospel, and, 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 and until they understand it, and then you let them do that with other people as well. This is how the kingdom moves forward. Men discipling men, women discipling women, the same way you would lead someone to Jesus Christ. One-on-one. That's the same way you disciple. One-on-one. You nurture them up for a while, one-on-one, but beyond that, you lead them to a small group so that their discipleship will be expanded by other believers. So they, they, they get nuances that maybe you don't have that they can pick up from someone else. But we nurture them up for a while, one-on-one, then we lead them into a small group, just like Jesus did with his disciples. So they were being commissioned, they were being instructed, they were being empowered in his mission, and the Lord promised and he guaranteed the harvest. Now, although these disciples may not have realized it, being on mission without Jesus physically present was why they were called to follow him. Being on mission without Jesus being physically present was why they were called to follow him. But folks, it's no different for us today. Jesus is on the inside. He's with us, but he's not here physically. And so that is our call to follow him so that we can be with him, so that he is with us, so that we can know exactly what his mission is. See, these disciples had heard Jesus teach in the Sermon on the Mount. They knew that they were salt and light, and now came the time for them to be salt and light out in the field, to practice what they'd been taught. They would take the salt and light into the world so that it wouldn't be hidden, it wouldn't be concealed And Jesus also had another command. He said, go. And really, as you go, as you go. And the mission of Jesus was now theirs. It's now ours. I mean, he sends out his disciples. Look at verse 5. It says, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them. Do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter into any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts but, or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worthy of his support. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting, your blessing. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. If it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whether, uh, whoever does not receive you nor heed your words, as you go out of that city, 
uh, house or city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Wow. I mean, we're familiar with like laboratory experiences or maybe what I want to call a test run. Jesus has been teaching and instructing his disciples all of this time. And now it comes time for him to send them out. And so he he gives them a test run, if you will. He sends them out. He's continuing to prepare them, but he's no longer going to be physically with them. And so what I want you to understand is he sent them out. It's time to go. It's time to go. Be workers in the harvest. But you know what? God still sends people out. Hallelujah. We're still on track with him. He sends people out. And he told these disciples, he said, go to the the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And my point is this. You have to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. Jesus started their mission experience among the people and the culture that they knew. Wow. Wait, I think I know where you're going with this preacher. There's a community all around us. We need to start right here. Exactly. Right where we're at. You see, this instruction, it had local and temporary application. Matthew closed his gospel account with the Great Commission. (laughs) Go therefore to all the nations, making disciples of all the nations. So, and that supersedes this this command and it embraces the whole world vision of of making disciples. And so it's it's even on a grander scale. And you know, Paul, he noted similar that the gospel was given first to the Jews and then to the, the Gentiles, to the Greeks. But you know, mission trips around the world and with different cultures are needed. But we must understand and not forget to start where we are. That means you need and I need to go to the neighbor who lives next door. The one next door, the one across the street, the one down the street. See, that's our calling and our vocation there as disciples of Jesus Christ. One part of the disciples' message was that the kingdom of heaven is near. It was at hand. And, And Jesus was literally near to those who would hear the gospel, who would hear the disciples. And this quote is an affirmation to the disciples. I mean, can you imagine with them the kingdom of heaven is near? When I go back, I'm going back to talk to Jesus. He is near. He is near. See, through their efforts, people would hear the gospel. They would be healed. He gave them the power to do that. And and, and they're going to respond. And I love this because they're, they're going to see the evidence that God cares about them and that through Jesus, these people have come to share Jesus with them. He's using the disciple in his kingdom mission. Oh, man. See, these instructions of Jesus are not rules just for every era and every church. But some were reversed. If you look in Luke chapter 22, 
Verse 35 and following, And Jesus said to them, When I sent you out without money belt and bag and sandals, did you not lack anything, did you? They said, No, nothing. And he said to them, But now whoever has a money belt is to take it along. Otherwise, also a, Likewise, also a bag. And whoever has a, no sword is to sell his coat and to buy one. For I tell you that this... Is, which is written must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with transgressors, for that which refers to me has its fulfillment. And they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. He told them, don't take anything with you. Then he says, take it with you. And so what he's doing is he's giving them a test run. He's saying, go out and share and let's see what happens. And they come back and they're rejoicing. They're telling him all about it. And now he's saying, this is where we are. We need to, t- we need to go out and we need to share the gospel. We need to be his disciples. We need to take on his kingdom mission. You see, we can still preach the message today. You can preach the message and I can preach the message. The various methods of proclamation and service may change, but the message stays the same. It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You see, other considerations in the text fit the pattern of a short, limited trip here. And although the disciples served freely, Jesus did remind us what is later taught more completely in the New Testament. He says there, the worker is worthy of his support. See, I want the opportunity to give and to seed into people like Craig and Susan, people like the Kahindis, people like those who are carrying the gospel around the Liguru Mountain in Tanzania. I want to be able to seed into that by, by giving and helping them. I love that. The worker is worthy of his support. But notice in verse 14, he says, if they don't listen to you, don't get upset. Don't crawl into a hole. Don't go into a depression. No, he says, shake the dust off your feet. Shake the dust off your feet. And you know, folks, I think that is still great advice today. Because this command teaches figuratively that we can't win them all. And that Jesus didn't win them all either. He, he, wanted, he wanted them to come to him. But he, the, the reality is, is not everyone will respond to the gospel. But we're not to let indifference or rejection or our weakness disable us. I mean, the, the disciples, they could have wallowed in self-pity. They could have said, man, nobody's responding. We don't know, Lord. I mean, there's a lot of problems out there. And instead, they were, they were told to shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next town. But don't hear, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we are to give up or to quit or to leave town, but that our responsibility is to be a faithful disciple and messenger of the love and, and, and hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. I mean, we can do the best that we can, but we have to leave the results up to God. We don't quit on Jesus. And we don't quit on his mission. I mean, I love what John said. He finishes what he starts. 
We don't quit on Jesus and we don't quit on the mission. Notice how Jesus challenges them and encourages them in verse 24. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of this household? Therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. What you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet one of them will fall to the ground. Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So do not fear you are more valuable than many sparrows. <laughs> See, the thought that we, you and I, could be like Jesus is amazing. Because I know where I've been. And I know what I've done. And the fact of the matter is, is that when Jesus comes into your life and you become a disciple of his and you make him your savior and your Lord, your life changes. It's transformed. And we become more like our savior. Just like he says, a disciple is not above his teacher. We become like him. You know, he's teaching here that to the 12 that they need to recognize that they are more valuable to God. They are special to God. And, and here we, we see this, you know, Jesus' critics have, have linked him up with Satan. And the disciples should not expect any less criticism. I mean, they call the, 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 the ruler of the house Beelzebub. Well, they're going to do the same to you. And, and, and the thing is, is we should not be surprised as disciples of Christ, when oppression comes to us. When we see that happen. Because difficult times will come if you live out your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Difficult times will come. And Jesus is warning them that in that passage of Scripture that we didn't read, from 16 through 23, that He's sending them out as sheep among wolves. See, He was up front with His disciples. He told them from the get-go. And critics, even those who professed to be God's people, they hounded Jesus until they crucified Him. See, our hope is not that we will have to endure this form of persecution or, or, or crucifixion for our faithfulness. But Jesus did warn us that bad things do happen to my disciples. And that faith, that comes with the human package of freedom and faith. And we face life with the grace of God that is sufficient for every need that we have. I mean, that's, how he said, that's what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And in this passage, he talks about fear. If I ask you why you don't share your faith, Many of you would talk about fear. But you need to understand something. Jesus empowered his disciples. 
He told them to go and to preach and to heal. And the word is clear. Don't be afraid of anyone who tries to inhibit your speaking about Jesus or your ministry in the name of Jesus. Don't fear them. Don't let fear creep in. Jesus taught the disciples in private and now he says to tell it all publicly. And the one who comes to reveal God had nothing to hide. He told them up front, it's going to cost you everything to follow me. Which part of that do we not understand? We're either all in or we're not in. Somebody also identifies one fear that is very real. And that's the fear of Almighty God. Fear is used in the Bible to describe the wonder and the reverence of God because Almighty God is awesome. He's the one that, that, that brings that to the table. He's the one that causes us to fall to our knees in, in, in reverence to Him because He and He alone is awesome. See, there are times when we should be afraid of God because God is the ultimate reference point to whom we must adjust our lives. I mean, Romans 14, 12 says, So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. One day we're going to stand before him and give an account. See, God is a God of judgment and love. They go together. Some people strangely think that Jesus implied that we are to fear Satan. But in the Bible... Satan is not to be feared. Satan is to be resisted. That's what it says in James chapter 4, verse 7. If you resist Satan, he flees from you. But most of the time, we willingly give in. See, only God controls the destiny of your body and your soul. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Because I know Jesus. And that's great news. That only God controls the destiny of your body and soul. See, although we might not escape suffering and persecution, we are assured that each disciple is special in the sight of God. You know, Jesus gave these instructions because he wanted the disciples to do them. And sometimes feelings are special. And I'm grateful for emotion in my life and for feeling because it helps me to know that I'm still alive. But understand something. Spiritually, are you a feeling person or a commandment person? Do you follow the teachings of Jesus when you feel like it or because God commands them? He has been exalted to a name which is above all names. I don't have the choice of saying, I will or I won't. When he commands it, I do it. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. See, we hear a lot about God working in the world. And if, if you really want to know where God is working in our world, then follow his commands. 
Because they will lead you to him and they will lead you to his mission. See, after the resurrection of Jesus, I'm almost done. The apostles became the most common term for his disciples, the 12 disciples. And the word apostle means the one who is sent out. To be sent out. It means the one who is sent, and and they were sent on a mission. But the thing to notice is that before they were sent out, (laughs) they were first taught. They were first instructed. Before they were apostles, they were disciples. And it means they, they sat at Jesus' feet. And there's a lesson for us in that. Before our Savior commissions us in the great work of proclaiming Him, He calls us first to be His student. To sit at the feet of Jesus in the school of Christ, sitting as his, at His feet, as it were, getting to know Him and learning from Him and being His disciple. Before He can send us out, He must instruct us and teach us. And today we need both qualities. We need discipleship, obedient learners, and we also need apostleship, going out with the message of Jesus, being sent. And doing both, we continue to do the mission that Jesus began. As I wrap this up, I want to quickly give you some application for reaching our neighborhood around us. The first one is this. I want you to pray for how you and others can extend the ministry of Jesus to those who are not connected to the church, his body. You know, I had a lady cut my hair on Friday. Thank you. I appreciate that compliment. She cut my hair. I thought she should have given me a discount because I got one with a hole in the top. But she didn't. But as she was cutting my hair, we were talking about our faith. And she said, I'm a believer. I go to Bethel. And I said, I'm glad you go to church somewhere. I embrace that. I'm glad that she is a believer. I'm glad that she is serving the Lord. You know, it's amazing to me because we need people to be connected with the body. Not just this body, but his body. So pray how you and others can extend the ministry of Jesus to those who are not connected to the body. And then work together to become better recruiters for Jesus. (laughs) Seriously. Because people are watching your life. And they're watching all the good stuff, but they're also watching all the drama and the bad stuff. And they're deciding whether they want to follow you as you follow Jesus. Work together to become better recruiters. Ask others to join you in this journey of discipleship and outreach. I mean, when was the last time you brought someone to church? 
When was the last time you brought someone to worship? When is the last time you invited someone to your small group? When is the last time you went to your neighbor and prayed with them and talked with them? When was the last time you collaborated with a brother and sister in Christ and said, let's go share the gospel with somebody? It's not my job. It's our job. And you've been empowered by the Lord Jesus. You don't need my approval. You don't need my command to say go. He's already sent you into the harvest. Don't be afraid to speak to someone, believer or not, every day about spiritual matters. The more you do it, the bigger your comfort zone will get. If someone's indifferent to you, they reject you, shake the dust off your feet and move on. Go on, but keep going and keep talking. Don't be filled with ego. Don't make it about you. Don't become frustrated when not everyone responds. Let the Lord be the Lord of the harvest. And remember, remember just how much Jesus, God, really loves and cares for you so much that he gave his life for you. He bled out on the cross so that we would know the forgiveness of our sins. Let's reach out. Let's reach out. Let's get about the mission that Christ called us to be about. This is what Jesus' disciples do. They follow their Lord into the harvest. Now the prerequisite for that is having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if you've never acknowledged him as your Lord and Savior, you don't have a clue about what I'm talking about. Because there is a transformation that takes place in your life when you submit to him. You know, in all of life, God is the one who initiates and we respond to him. He's already done that. And so this morning I offer you that invitation that maybe you've never responded to him. Maybe your love has grown cold. Maybe you're not feeling like you are serving where you need to be serving or doing what you need to be doing. I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to encourage you to walk closer to him. Because in doing that, you show yourself to be a disciple of Jesus Christ.